We have gone a long way already over the last uh, two days, and I think the best is yet to come. So I really pray that uh, uh, an ability to communicate will rest upon me as we dig into God's Word. Uh, We're talking about the coming of the Messiah. We've been talking over the last couple of days about all the things that lead up to the coming of the Messiah. We've been saying that there will be a time that the Bible says there will be a great tribulation or a great persecution. The Greek word is thlipsis, and thlipsis literally means a time of great pressure. It is not the time of wrath, Uh, And I was saying that uh, Christians, those that are privileged to be here at that time, will go through a time of difficulty, and we are coming up to that time in my personal belief. That time will will start with a seven-year period that starts with a peace treaty in the Middle East. And it'll be a peace treaty between the Israelis and the Palestinians, That uh, seven-year period, right at the middle of that, will be an event that Jesus warned us about. He called it the abomination of desolation spoken of by uh, Daniel the prophet. We find that in Matthew 24. But in the midst of that difficult time, when that difficult time starts, the thing that will keep us are the prophecies of the Word of God we will be able to look to the Word of God and and say, well, that's been fulfilled, that's been fulfilled, that's been fulfilled. It's like a jigsaw. I like to picture it like one of those jigsaws that you can get. You don't know the picture. Have you seen those ones? You, You have to figure out the picture by, first of all, you take the outside, then you get scattered bits, you don't know where it goes. And, and the life that we are living at the moment is a bit like that. You get snippets of information, you get the framework, and as you look at the, the big picture of the political events that are happening in the world, you kind of, well, this bit goes there, and yes, and there's still this yet to happen. And of course, as we look at the Word of God, we see a number of things still yet to happen. But the already fulfilled prophecies of Jesus, Paul, John, and the Old Testament prophets of the first three and a half years will encourage us. And as that time comes when Jesus warned us about the abomination of desolation, a desecration of the temple which has not yet been built. It's one of the events that's preceding that is that, of course, the Jewish people are back in the land of Israel. Uh, They've captured the city of Jerusalem in 1967, and now the embassies are now being able to actually call Jerusalem as the capital city of Israel. And you may have heard that in the news. So these things, as we see them happening, they will encourage us if we are the generation that is experiencing those things. And as believers are being persecuted, they will hold on to the things of his precious promises that he is waiting to celebrate with us. He, did you know that? The Lord is going to come and he is so looking forward to seeing us and welcoming us into the presence of his Father and to an event called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. So there is coming a time 
when the Lord Jesus will present, will be presented to us as the bridegroom. We are the bride. He is called the bridegroom. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So as those days are happening, we will be greatly encouraged as we see a worldwide revival that will take place because of the persecution. Because God will use the time of persecution to drive us closer together to one another and closer together with him. So it will be a time of awesome liberty uh, and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So... Let's think about that time and his coming now. We talked about a lot of things, so that was just a, a preceding context. So what does the Bible say about Armageddon? Because when we think of the last days, we all think, well, the battle of Armageddon. Now I'm going to say something very shocking to you. I personally do not believe that the battle itself will be at Armageddon. And I'll tell you why. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 16, where it talks. Now, I want to I wanna frame the words Armageddon in the context, and then I will help you to look uh, and see what does it actually say. We're looking at Revelation, chapter 16, and I'm going to read from verse 12 of that day that is ahead, that time that is ahead. Verse 12 says this, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons performing miraculous signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world. There will be a one-world government, as we've spoken about, and these uh, kings will bring them to this place. It says, to gather. To gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Where is the battle, though? Behold, I come like a thief, Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Verse 16. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city. What city is he talking about? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. We are approaching the end at this point where the Lord himself will come. But where will he come? It doesn't say that the actual battle, now I don't discount that there will be bloodshed at the Valley of Armageddon, and uh, maybe you can put up that picture. Uh, there's a picture, a land uh, map of the, 
of uh, Jerusalem. You see on the, on the left-hand side the word Megiddo. That's, that's from Armageddon comes from the word Megiddo. Armageddon is broken up into two words, Ha Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo. And when you, if I ever get the chance to take you to Megiddo, it's, it's on a hill. And the valley that is just to the east of that, where it says Jezreel Valley, down in the bottom left-hand side in blue, that's where the valley of Armageddon is. Now, will there be a battle there? It is my belief, when, when you think of uh, the Second Gulf War, remember? Now, you don't gather all your forces to where the actual battle is being taking place. You gather your forces many times, mostly 60, 80 miles. The forces are all gathered there to make the advance on the place that you're attacking. It is my belief that this place, Armageddon, is just the gathering place because Haifa, put that up again, Haifa in, the, in white, right in the far left-hand side, is a port city. And often the American Sixth Fleet is at anchor there or some of the aircraft carriers, etc., often are in there. Now, that's the perfect staging place for the armies of the West with their ships to land their tanks, etc., now, the armies to the north will come through Lebanon, right to the very top there, and to the east, those countries to the east, we are told that the way will be made for them across the river Euphrates, where the armies from the east will come through the Golan Heights and gather there at Armageddon to make the attack on Jerusalem. And let us look at Jerusalem. Let's talk about Jerusalem, the problem city. The objective of the nations is not to capture a valley. They're not interested in that valley. They're interested in Jerusalem because Jerusalem again and again on the news is the problem city. And uh, the Jews, the Jewish people claim that Jerusalem is their eternal capital right from the days of David. We, we know that. King David captured the city of Jerusalem, the city of David, the city of Zion is there in Jerusalem. But uh, the Palestinians also claim that, and of course there's been so much anguish between the Israelis and the Palestinians as to whose city is it. And the very Temple Mount is occupied by the Dome of the Rock, and uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque that's on the Temple Mount itself. And the Israelis don't go up on the mosque. They, they, they're, they're careful with the Muslims. We don't, they don't want to cause a war. But something will change where their temple, the Jewish temple, will be built. And we know that there's a desecration in the middle of that seven-year period. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 12. Uh, hopefully we got it up on the screen. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2 to 3. Look what it says here. This is the, in the Old Testament where God talks about that period of time which we are coming up to. The Lord says, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples, 
not just the Arabs, all the surrounding peoples. Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, etc., etc., Algeria, Morocco, all the way around that area, they do not like that the Jews are there in the land and they want them out. So there, there, we are already seeing that prophecy being fulfilled this very day. I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged. What's Judah? We get the word Jews from the word Judah. Judah will be besieged. We're talking about the area around Jerusalem. Judah lived on that uh, area. Bethlehem, Jerusalem is all the land of Judah. And of course, David uh, was of the tribe of Judah. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. On that day when all the nations, notice that, not just some nations, when all the nations of the earth are gathered. All the nations, there's our word that we just read concerning uh, Armageddon. The nations of the world are gathered in one place to target Jerusalem. We're going to do away with uh, the, all this trouble and strife there in Jerusalem. We're going to capture it. We're going to destroy it, etc., etc. The Lord says, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. In other words, this rock behind that word injure themselves is is a man that lifts something too heavy for him and he ruptures himself and he, oh, he can't carry this. That's the picture we're to get. All those nations will try and lift this problem city and do something. And as we look through history, modern history, we see president after president, country after country trying to do something about the Palestinian and Israeli problem. Well. God knows what he's doing, and there will come a day when he will reveal himself in great power. Zechariah chapter 12, let us read the word of the Lord as to what he says will happen in the future. We're reading Zechariah 12, verses 8 to 11, where the Lord's word says this, On that day, what day? The, Lord when the, the, the day when the enemies of Israel will be gathered together against her. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them will be like David. And the house of David, the people of Judah, the Jews, will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. In other words, they will be very brave. This is an existential threat against them and they will rise up to the challenge. On that day, who, who comes? I, the Lord, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. Notice what happens. I, I will step in myself. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. And then he describes a scene that takes place. And I believe 
This will take place literally above the city of Jerusalem. That's why I have a picture uh, on the book of the Messiah over the top of the Western Wall. And I literally believe that's how it's go he's going to show himself literally above the city of Jerusalem. Let's read what it says. It says, they will look upon me. Oh, I love that. The one they have pierced. There, there's an acknowledgement. When they look upon him, they'll see that his hands and his feet have been pierced. They will literally look upon him in the sky. He will appear over Jerusalem. The one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him. As one mourns for an only mourns for an only child, what kind of mourning are we talking about? When if you ever come across a person that's lost an only child, oh, you're talking about great deep mourning and crying and weeping. That's the kind of weeping the Jewish people will experience when they realize over centuries they have been separated from their Messiah. They're, this is what they did to their Messiah when he came. They pierced him. They pierced his hands and feet. They will mourn for him and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Verse 11. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great, like the weeping of Hadad Rimmon in the plain of Megiddo. Now you'd think that there'd be a great amount of rejoicing at the sign of the Messiah. Messiah coming to save them. But here we see that there's a great deal of mourning instead when they realize, oh no, our Messiah and this is what we've done to him. The traditional place of battle between God and his enemies is Armageddon. But the scriptural evidence seems to point to an appearance at Jerusalem first. Now let's explore further by looking at what the prophet Zechariah tells us further along these lines. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah gives us more on this topic. Chapter 14 verses 1 to 7 I'm going to read from. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord capitalized, we're talking about Yahweh himself will step in. Then the Lord, Jesus, he is Yahweh. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of, Ju of Judah. Then 
the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. All the angels and as we have already studied, you, if you pass from this world, you will be coming on the clouds of heaven with the Lord Jesus on that day. On that day, there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. Hallelujah. So, let's turn to the book of Revelation and find out what Revelation has to say about this time. I saw, and we're reading from Revelation 19, verses 11 to 14. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord is coming on a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful, and true. Our Lord Jesus is faithful and he is true. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're talking about Jesus. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. How full of joy you will be when you see that in every eye across this whole world will see this sign. I don't know how. I can't explain how. But you will see him. Every eye will see this and experience it. And it will happen to you if you are a believer, and I trust that all of you are a believer, and if you're not, then today's your opportunity to make yourself a believer. Because when that time comes and he appears over Jerusalem, Something awesome happens all over the world because in the twinkling of an eye, the scripture says, we will be changed and the dead will rise out of their graves and we will meet, we who are still alive will be caught up together with our loved ones who have already gone to heaven. If you have fathers, grandfathers that have gone to be with the Lord, and I'm sure we all have, that day you will see them, and I look forward to seeing you as well, and I trust all of you. We'll be doing high fives, and I'll say, I told you so, I told you so, didn't I? <laughs> because we stand on the Word of God. We don't stand on what we, we know. We stand on the Word of God, and what the Lord says will happen. We will meet the Lord and our loved ones in the air, and so... We will be with the Lord forever. First Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Imagine the joy that you will experience as a believer when you see this sight through the darkness, the Lord Jesus in all of his glory and all of his wonder there in the sky coming for you yourself. 
He will set things right. The suffering of this world will be gone. And God wants each one of us to look forward to this day and to welcome his coming. So now let's ask, what will his coming be like? Let's, let's focus. We all want to know this part, right? What will his coming be like? In the midst of the darkness, we've already talked about the cosmic happenings and, and literally the planet Earth will be rocking on its axis, the scripture tells us. Whatever the elite have done in this world, something terrible will happen and the world itself will be rocking backwards. It'll be shifting on its axis. The Lord Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 17, verse 24, For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. The Lord will come for his people, and with him will be the angels. But not only that, your loved ones, and if you pass from this earth, you will come on that day too to be reunited with your body. But when that happens, that resurrection body, and we already talked about that, will be a glorious body like unto his body. The scripture says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. I'm reading just one or two verses from 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 42 to 44, the word of the Lord says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead that very day. We call it the rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible. The Greek word is hapazo. All of a sudden, we are snatched up in the twinkling of an eye. It will happen before you can bat your eye. No pain or anything. We are there. We are transformed. We are changed into his image. And the Bible says... The body that is sown is perishable. Oh, it sure feels like it at times, right? <laughs> the older you get, the more you feel this. Oh, I'm getting weaker and weaker. <laughs> it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Anyone feel weak today? <laughs> it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. In an instant, in the time it takes to bat your eyelids, this will happen to us. Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, goes along with that very same thing. It's not just in the New Testament we read of these things. Isaiah the prophet, in chapter 26, verse 19, tells us this. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. I, I want you to imagine yourself that this is actually going to happen to you because brothers and sisters, it really, literally will happen to you. If you're gone from this earth, all of a sudden... You will have this experience happen to you. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Oh, I cannot imagine the joy that is on your face as you 
have this experience happen to you and you see the Lord Jesus in all of his glory. And you look at yourself and you, wow, this is awesome. Look at this. <laughs> look at these threads. <laughs> and we will be changed. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Now, how will this happen? Matthew 24 has a very interesting passage on what it will be like because there will be a separation at this point. Let me read to you from Matthew 24, verse 36 to 42. But about that day or hour, no one knows. We don't know when exactly. We only know the season as we've talked about. And as that season approaches, you will be greatly encouraged at what you see the Lord doing Amongst you and amongst his church, many, many people will be saved at this point. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. What was he saying? Normal life will be going on. People will be doing the normal things that people do. They're planning for marriages. They're not thinking, those that are outside of Christ, that don't have never explored these things, they're just going about their daily lives thinking that the world is always going to go on like this, even though there's such terrible evil at that time and darkness. They're just carrying on. But you personally, you that are born again Christians, you know what's happening. Let's carry on reading. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came. And I feel earnestly sorry for those that are not in Christ yet and are totally oblivious to these things happening on the world because all of a sudden it'll happen and some will be left and some will be gone. He carries on saying, Jesus says, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. They'll be working together in the fields, perhaps harvesting wheat or whatever. One will be taken and the other left. And the person will look around and his friend is gone. Well, what happened to that born-again Christian that worked with me? And he's just suddenly disappeared. He says, two, two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Always be ready, he's saying. Be ready for these things. Don't think that the world is going to carry on this way for the rest of time immemorial. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know. You believers will know that the time is approaching, but those that are still in darkness that refuse to uh, come to Jesus Christ, they'll be oblivious to these things, unfortunately, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Now, there's a very interesting passage. We mentioned it just yesterday about a parable that the Lord Jesus gave in Matthew 25. And it's the parable of the ten virgins. And we talked about uh, 
they were, the ten virgins were all waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. Now, obviously, the bridegroom is a picture of Jesus Christ. The ten virgins, five were wise, five were foolish. Five thought that they were Christians, but really they had no preparation. They, they, they said that they were Christians, but they never really were born again. They never really prepared for eternity. They had no interest, really, so they never prepared. That They never even thought that there would be some time of darkness because they had no oil in their lamps. They thought that, well, it's always going to be fine. Don't worry. God is a God of love. But the other five, they prepared themselves for the time of darkness and all of a sudden, all ten of them seemed to be asleep. That's what the passage says. But all of a sudden, the cry went out, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Prepare to meet him. And they all woke up. Five of them took their lamps and, yeah, it was very dark because he came at midnight. The darkest time was midnight. Is midnight. Five had prepared themselves for it, and they lit their lamps. But the other five, hey, 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 give us some of your oil because uh, I, I didn't get enough oil. And the five wives said, well, look, you, you got, we, can't give you, we can't give you what we have. You've you got to go to, the, to the, the oil people and buy some. And the Bible says that the five wives went with the bridegroom and the five foolish went to try and do something about their condition. And later on, they came to where the, the banquet and the, the marriage supper of the Lord was there. And the five wise went in with the bridegroom. And the five foolish stood outside, knocking. I don't think it was a tap, tap, tap. I think it was a frantic because all of a sudden they realized those Christians, those born-again Christians, they really knew about this stuff. And why didn't I prepare myself ahead of time for this, they said. Let's, let me read it to you. It says, Matthew 25, verse 10, the bridegroom arrived. The Lord Jesus came. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Now let's think about that. When the Lord Jesus comes, he is going to take you by the hand and he is going to walk you in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a personal thing. He says here, so that they went in with him. Oh, what a personal God the Lord Jesus is. All of us will experience that personal relationship with him, and we will enter into the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and guess what? The door will be shut there is no later opportunity that you can get in. If you're not prepared for that day, 
you will find, I trust none of you listening to my voice will ever be those that will knock at that door frantically. You will be scratching your nail. Let us in. Let us in. We went to church. We did all of these things. But let us in. And the Lord will say, I never knew you. If you have no intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that door is going to be shut on you. And I pray with all of my heart that that will be none of your experience. That you will know the precious experience of going in with the Father, with the Lord Jesus, with the saints into that marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lord Jesus says these words in Luke 22, 29 to verse 30. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table. I love to eat and drink with my friends, but there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus will sit you down and you will eat with him. The most intimate thing that you can do with your friends is to sit down, hang out, just talk, and be with the ones you love. And that is the experience for the believers, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, I've got to move a bit faster. His bride, the church, will rule and reign with him. It is here and now that the church is learning the art of spiritual warfare. While we live in this world, there is something that is happening, whether you realize it or not. You are being trained for spiritual warfare. If you're a believer, you are being prepared for the world that is ahead. This world is just preparation stage training, equipping you for what is ahead because in eternity and in heaven you will not get the opportunity to grow and to experience and to resist evil like you have in this world. Let me read to you something from the book uh, by Bill Hymer. He's, uh, he wrote a book called Destined for the Throne. I want to quote from him. Listen carefully. This is really interesting. I quote, from the very beginning, it was God's plan and purpose that out of the riven side of the Son should come an eternal companion to sit by his side upon the throne of the universe, to share with him his sovereign power and authority over his eternal kingdom. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's speaking to you and me. To him who overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. To be given the kingdom is more than to internalize kingdom principles and ethics. That is only one phase of it. To be given a kingdom is to in be invested with authority over a kingdom. This is God's purpose for the church is authenticated and confirmed in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 2 to 3 where Paul writes, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Don't you know that we will judge angels 
And of course, he's talking here about evil angels that work with Satan. This is a pledge of what Jesus meant when he said, The glory that you gave me, I have given them. This royalty and rulership is no hollow, empty, figurative, symbolic, and emblematic thing. It is not a figment of the imagination. The church, the bride, the eternal companion, is to sit with him on his throne. If his throne represents reality, then hers is no fantasy. We are joint heirs with Christ, according to Paul in Romans 8.17. We may not know why it pleases the Father to give the kingdom to us little flock. We may not know why Christ chooses to share his throne and his glory with the redeemed. We only know that he's chosen to do so and that it gives him pleasure. Therefore, from all eternity, all that precedes the marriage supper of the Lamb is preliminary and preparatory. Only thereafter will God's program for the eternal ages begin to unfold. God will not be ready, so to speak, to enter upon his ultimate and supreme enterprise for the ages until the bride, you and I, are on the throne with her divine lover and Lord. Up until then, the entire universe, under the sun's regulation and control, is being manipulated by God for one purpose, to prepare and train his bride. Truly, God is the Lord of history. We will be married to the Lord. Oh, I can't wait. This is not something just in the New Testament. This is the plan of ages from beginning of time immemorial to that time when we will be with him in that place. This is what Isaiah the prophet says. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder, capital B, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. What's the picture he's putting there? Anyone ever been to a marriage? A wedding? What do they like to do? Oh, they like to look gaga at one another, right? Oh, they love to dance. Oh, when they come into that place, oh, wow, do they, they love to dance. That, that is just a, an emblem, just a little picture of something that is ahead for the bride of Christ to be married. And the Lord Jesus is going to dance with his bride and he's going to rejoice over you with singing it says in Zephaniah. He's going to rejoice over you with singing. He's going to sing over you his love. Anyone ever been to a wedding where they sang to one another? It is awesome. I've been to a wedding where the bridegroom sang to the bride as she came up. Oh, she wasn't expecting and she was a mess. By the time she got up to the altar, she was in tears. All the mascara was running. <laughs> it was glorious. But that's what the Lord is going to do with you in that day. He says in another place, Zephaniah 3 verse 17, 
He says, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Hallelujah. But imagine the Lord Jesus singing over you. Revelation 22, verses 3 to 4. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face. Oh, is there anything better in heaven than to look upon the face of Jesus? They will see his face. The scriptures put this up as the most awesome thing that you can ever do in the whole of eternity is to look on his face. And he won't be coming as the suffering servant that was crucified for sin, but no, he will come in all of his glory and you will be spellbound. And when that day happens, you will just want to get on your knees before the Lord and oh, his majesty, his glory will be everything. You will not want to leave that place. You will want to look upon the face of Jesus forever. His name will be on their foreheads. That place there, oh, that Yahweh will be on his forehead, on our foreheads, that the name of Yeshua, Jesus, will be on our forwards, foreheads. Revelation 19, I'm nearly finished. Thank you for your patience. Nine, Revelation 19, verses 7 to 8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding. The wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Oh, all the pain, all the trials, all the difficulties that you've gone through. The bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. This, this is not just a wedding in, on earth. This is like nothing. This is a trillion times more grand than anything. You will be married to the Lord Jesus. And I remind you again that if you've entrusted your life to Christ, you're not just a witness. You're, you're, you are the bride. You will be married with him. At the moment, you're, you're just uh, espoused. What's, the, what's the, the English word? You're Betrothed, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. I'm still king, thinking in King James. You, we are betrothed at the moment. We, we just have an engagement ring on our fingers. But that day, the Father will marry us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will sing over you. He will put his, his ring of eternal life on your finger. And we will be with him for eternity. But there is one more thought that I cannot pass by before I leave you. It is that the door is shut behind you. And there's two ways that we can look at that. Yes, there's the way of people trying to get through that door and realizing it's too late. But for the believer, the door is shut behind us to symbolize that this is forever. 
This is not just day after day. This is forever. The door is shut to symbolize that we are with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. And oh, how wonderful that must be. None are naturally ready for the joys of heaven. No, no man or woman can be good enough. There must be a bestowing, a divine transfusion of the life of God into your spirit. If you want to be there for that day, there must be an inner change. We call it being born again or born from above. If that experience has never happened to you, I put it to you that maybe you're still outside the door and I would hate for that to be your experience that one day you will be trying to get in and the time has come and it's too late. But as much as it's painful for those outside, it is pure joy for those who are inside, not because we have deserved it, but because God has sent his son into the world and paid the price for all our sins.